Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay. Talk Recorded live. This is Thursday, March 17th, 2016. Um, 7.08 p.m. Our monthly PTAC meeting, um, starting with the president's report. The first thing we're discussing is um, I recently went on a trip to, and this is Lenita Robinson, the president, (laughs) Joan. Um, The first thing we're discussing is the MBK initiative out of the president's office, actually in the executive office of the president. Um, and in doing some research, I'm finding that anything that resides in that office typically extends past uh, any president's uh, term, tenure. So this should extend past Obama's term. We should be good. We'll have a staff dedicated to MBK, which is great, because now we'll I'll have a pipeline to the White House for my brother's keeper. Um, in the White House briefing, I had the opportunity of meeting some very um, well-spoken young men who have been mentored since the uh, MBK program launched back in 2014. It's been two years. This was a two-year anniversary. Um, And they had good things to say, and one of the young men was from a school called Renaissance Academy. Um, I was checking them out. I've connected with them on Facebook, which is part of what the MBK Alliance uh, and program fosters is that mentoring, um, organic mentoring by connecting with them in social spectrums and just um, supporting our young millennials and even the generation, uh, what is the other one, millennials and what was it, Joan? Uh, that is the Joshua generation. The Joshua generation. That's one thing. Yeah. Um, so this, this, the whole meeting was about, collaborating and building collaborations with community organizations that are specifically focused on supporting young black males. Um, The reason why the focus is on young black males is because of the statistics. And once we are able to put something in place to support young black males, it will also support young black females and persons of color and so forth. So, you know, it was just about making sure that we have something like a safety net for when President Obama walks out of office and we've kind of bonded ourselves through this to kind of help ourselves alone. Um, It's not dependent on the MBK Alliance. is the private partnership um, because he's partnered it with the government, but he's also launched this private partnership so that it can continue on and they can help maintain the life of it. That's the MBK Alliance. So I'm hoping that everyone goes and checks out the MBK Alliance and if you are in MBK City to find out where you can get um, in that MBK pipeline, uh, what you can bring to the table to help bring 
his vision to fruition because it's really in our hands to see it through. So he's looking for project leads. If you go to the website, uh, the positions that they have out there, it's more self-starter project lead type positions. So they're looking for people to take ownership of certain aspects of it. Um, they stressed about data collecting, uh, having evidence-based data uh, to support uh, programs in the community. So if you have something that you are doing in the community, you have to be diligent about collecting your data and being able to interpret your data. Um, also um, working on business empowerment uh, with businesses owned by men of color, which I a lady got, grabbed me when I went to a meeting and said, no, we don't say of color, we say African-American because of color uh, diminishes our power. So African-Americans, this is designed for African-American communities to uplift themselves. I think on um, when I came back home dealing with MBK, I am over here at the Ailey Community Center, and I have a new council member, and this is me just giving an idea how you can get um, connected to the MBK program in your MBK city. I'm in the A-Leaf community. It's predominantly an Asian community. They would be considered of color. But still, the actual base of the program is you have to show something that you are doing with African-American males. It's really specific. So the councilman, Stephen Lee, he's brand new, just voted in, uh, has already reached out to the park asking about this program. And I just happen to be the only person that has been going to that park that's actually been to the White House briefing and aware of it to know to um, ask about it and push for it or ask for the resources that they have for it. So that's what I will be doing in my community center uh, to bring resources to the kids. So I'm hoping anybody who's in MBK City, you can go to whitehouse.gov look up uh, My Brother's Keeper, and it will let you know which cities have signed on. Um, they're doing the next uh, group of cities this year, which Austin is the, is a city for this year, so they're launching those new cities this year. And those are going to be focused on STEM and tech in the communities. So it's moving along. It's really a great program, and if you haven't looked it up or told anybody about it, I suggest you do because we're the only ones that, will take care of ourselves the way that we need to take care of ourselves. So we have to start stepping up and showing up in these places where the programs are so that we can be a voice in what we actually need versus what they assess we need and then it doesn't work. So that's the MBK Alliance. Anybody have any questions on it or any comments about it? Have you heard about it? Okay. Sorry. I have. Okay, good. Here in Kansas City, Missouri. In Missouri? Kansas City, Missouri? Yeah. The mayor held a community forum, and there are some collaborations and partnerships going on now for the funding. But I don't know the details right now, but I can make it my business to start finding out. I would suggest make it your business to start finding out um, because it is some, you know, I've been in the communities, um, this community center that I'm dealing with over here, and if anybody, you know, President Obama's story is he started in the community first and met those barriers in the community of trying to help the community. And a lot of those barriers came from loan-holding, standing community members who, you know, 
don't like outsiders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, right. That's what I, you know. That's what I get. But we we're moving around, and so ultimately, this is still our community. We might not have been born and raised, but because we live here, our dollars go here. So it's our community, you know. But it's some of those type individuals and, you know, fear of a position or something being taken away that the resources don't get properly allocated. Mm-hmm. So to stay on top of it and make sure that it's getting allocated, especially to our kids, because, right. you know, it still has that little persons of color. So they could say they're doing it for African-American children and one or two show up and then all the rest is something else. You know, right. so um, to stay on top of that. Um the other thing I was going to speak on, which this was the business empowerment about us empowering each other's businesses, we're on Facebook and social media, and at this point we should really recognize the power that we have. Um, the stats that came out, you know, living in Houston, I see a lot, but the stats that came out for what I saw in Houston was that this Democratic campaign that was going on a lot of African-American women were able to dis, uh, win seats in the primaries that were not even projected to win seats in the primaries. So we're obviously gaining some type of power um, through our voice. Uh, a lot of it is social media and our ability to start uh, collaborating together and using our social tools to promote the ideas that we need to promote uh, for people to understand why they need to vote and be engaged. So use your business empowerment to empower businesses across your spectrum. You can share every once in a while a post, something that's interesting. If you um, are on any of the pages, share them, and that's how those pages get visibility. Don't I am tag me if, if it's something about our children, something about education, um, that leadership uh, thing that's going on tomorrow at the White House, tag me and things like that. And I have several pages that I try and share that sort of information to just to keep us aware and engaged because I know even if people are not liking the post, they are reading the post, and right. I just let them absorb it on their own, and then they come to it on their own, and that's the strength in what we're, this movement right now. And so it's my mom and actually said we have to keep showing up because even though the millennials are coming through, we have to stay in there to keep them motivated and also be the voice of wisdom. So we have to learn how to manage that with our millennials because they're still kids and we know how kids are. We'll want the candy jar and we'll have to teach them, don't just take the first candy jar that they offer you (laughs) so we can keep it moving. Um, Talent sharing and webinars. I want to try and put together uh, a series of webinars because we have a lot of expertise within the PTAC organization to be able to do some webinars to start fundraising to build our treasury, something I have talked to Joan about, and also educating our members on best practices and best uses on different things that we need to maintain PTAC. Like, for instance, PTAC will survive the stronger our businesses are. If we need support on, especially in the social spectrum, how do we manage that and what do we need to do, then let's do some webinars on that and get everybody up to speed so that we're more effective in our sharing and collaboration across the board and we understand how that works. Um, Joan 
has her own um, finance program that she has been working to put together, and I think it would be helpful if we all learn how to do that to manage for ourselves. So um, just things that can help us apply to our own businesses that will in turn uh, bring PTAC along because I know I need some refining on some things myself. So um, if anyone has anything that they would want to set up, uh, I am open to it. I would like to know what it is and then see how we can set it up so that we can move some uh, resources into our treasury so that we can start getting our paperwork and things together um, with PTAC. Anyone have any questions on that so far, anything I've said? Okay. I have a question. This is yes. Joanna. Um, when you said about financing, what is that? What exactly does that mean? It means that you know, with every organization, there's a cost associated with it, and so um, you know, in order to be able to cover expenses, you have to have something in the treasury. Right. And right, right now, our treasury is. What was it, Joan, 100? And she'll do that in the finance report, so I don't want to go past that. But, you know, trying to get the members to um, pay dues, that that's one method because that mm-hmm. helps keep us going. But in the meantime, you know, while we're trying to build up the membership, we're still moving along and we still have paperwork that we need to get filed um, so that we're a legitimate pack. And then there's the filing of paperwork and, you know, just – I believe in we're an organization, but we have to look down the line. This is the 100-year plan. How are we going to sustain PTAC? Are right. we just going to do fundraisers? Are we going to start putting tools in place that will start um, generating some type of revenue so that we can the, the uh, organization can run itself on that? Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Okay, um, the next part was about us maintaining unity. I think that's something real major. Typically, when we get to this part of the political season um, and even down the home stretch, when they start recognizing where the power is coming from, then that's where the attacks are targeted. And right now, African-American women have supported Hillary Clinton in mass. Um so it you know the millennials are not happy with us right now <laughs> because of course they're looking at Bernie Sanders and that's fine i think at the end of the day we know how this game plays out we fight we fight and now we have to come together but um i also recognize that we end up with a certain element that starts to play the the democratic party used to be the white supremacist group uh, why are you voting for them? You should be going Republican, this, that, the other. I, that we have to get past and stay focused on what our agenda item is. Our agenda items are to take care of these things before President Obama steps out the White House. That's the, the main focus. So if we focus on that, um, not on, like, for instance, I can put up some controversial posts just because, I want to stir up something or get people to think. And then, you know, I come back to PTAC and they're like, oh, my God, why, why, why? And it's like, no, we have a a planned agenda here. And everything that we are doing is going to somehow tie back into the agenda. So I just want to make sure that within this collective um, group and organization, 
that we maintain unity in what we have agreed to uh, with these calls and how we move forward and just our goals in general, which is we're trying to build something for our future generations. Um, marketing strategy. This is something that I want to start trying to have a discussion about and having uh, some folks throw out some ideas because we need to figure out how to get our recruitment up. Uh, we need to start figuring out how to get more visibility with PTAC and what we are willing to do um, to get that visibility. We are working on a brochure. That brochure is being, it's been designed by Lisa, but we might need to redesign some things because now that we have more information, uh, our message, there may be a different way to present our message on the brochure. So that will be something that we work on. Joan, I finish up in two weeks of school, so I'll be able to look at that. Um, okay. And Joanna would be great um, since this is her first call. Um, yeah. She's got fresh set of eyes, and she can give us perspective. Because one of the things that I'm noticing, there's a big there's a perception that a super PAC is just, um, it's, it's almost like out of our vocabulary. Like we're not right. familiar with it. We don't even think it's something that we can deals with us. You know? Right. Um, so that's why when I went back and I looked at the brochure, we don't really mention it. And I think we might want to reconsider at least putting it there so people are aware that mm -hmm. um, this is something our children desperately need because right. everybody else has one and we're not invited to their party. Right. And I think we are, one of the things, Joan, we had discussed was saying it's the Black Family Pack. What did we call it? I, I've been referring to people as the Black Family Super Pack. Yeah, Black um, Family Super so, um, so we want to stay in touch with that, with the Black Family um, concept. Um, and I'll tell you, one of the things, when we talk about the marketing strategy, the things to look at is, you know, when President Obama did his executive order for African-American education, his executive order for HBCUs, and his um, MBK uh, program, looking at those three things gives us what we need to position our language um, and strategy, and a lot of it was education for the whole family. So anything that where we're covering the whole family, that's what's not there. Um, the teachers are struggling because they can't communicate with parents. Parents can't communicate with teachers, and there's a break. And so we sit right in the middle with Black Parent Connect, and Black Parent Connect is a part of PTAC. So as we position ourselves, it makes us, um, it gives that collaboration that people are looking for out of a Black-owned organization. And it's there but not to the context where it takes care of the black family. So, Joan, you're absolutely right. And so our goal is how do we bring that out in a marketing strategy so that we can get people to understand this is for the whole family and not just for, um, not just for adults. One of the things that me and Joan have discussed is PTAC Kids and um, using our children uh, to start that, or that wing of the organization so that they can start learning how to 
host their meetings, uh, especially teaching kids how to host meetings online. And stay. I mean, it's just like church. We take the church, take it online, bring it in the PTAC, and groom our kids as we move along. And it's the PTAC kids now follow back in the PTAC and Black Parent Connect because now we're mentoring children through a, a, a segment of PTAC and building them for leadership. So, you know, all the key points that we want to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? We want to promote uh, in the community that we're trying to support. We need to try and figure out how we can market that that out to the community so they know that's what we're doing. Um, Joan, do you have anything else yep. on that? Yeah, I wanted to ask Joanna, um, yes. what's your perspective? If someone was to ask you off the street, what is PTAC, what would you say just based on where you are right now? Well, I was talking to an elder earlier today who has a project called Back to the Table. And in a nutshell, it is to restore the black family, okay? Mm-hmm. So I was basically telling her about this organization and how, because I'm looking at this as a way to mobilize people, and I haven't been in touch with you in a long time, Joan, so I'm not sure about all the different steps along the way that you all have taken. But with respect to your question, answer more directly, I don't think a lot of us understand PAC, and Mm -hmm. some of that is because, in general, the main thing that we've learned how to do is to vote. Right. And so we we don't know how to take the next step necessarily and understand that we can form our own political coalitions. I like that word. I have a question. Political coalition. Down down here in Texas, uh, and Joan has been, I've kept Joan abreast of the developments down here because, you know, I live in Houston and we have a new black mayor. So, you know, we get a lot more access than I think the rest of any red state (laughs) tends to get to President Obama's grand initiative. Uh, My question is, how do... um, you're about to discover how, how to can I say that? See, I just lost my thought because I heard. <laughs> Did someone just chime in, John? Uh, we have someone from Arkansas that's joined us, and then uh, um, some kind of pop up popped up on my computer. So sorry about that. But um, we do have a call from Arkansas. Might want to introduce her, him or herself. Hello, Arkansas? Maybe not. Okay, we'll move on. What, Joanna, you were saying that it's a, um, if we are mobilizing, and we've been mobilizing, and during the time that I have been speaking with Joan, um, I have paid attention to, there were a lot of early on leadership opportunities um, for a lot of young people at the colleges. I was telling Joan, it's happening at the college level, and they have opened the doors to groom a whole new brand of leadership 
on the college level and created organizations around uh, simply developing those leaders. And they started really with women preparing for Hillary Clinton. And so um, one of the organizations is Ignite. Um, I went to one meeting early on, which is how, you know, it's funny how I got the invitation to the White House. A lot of this stuff I just watched it and when they said, okay, who wants to be involved, I jumped in and, like, put my email in real quick and ended up getting invitations and stuff I just didn't believe I would get invitations to. So now I'm sitting with an invitation to a team at someone's home in Dallas, and it's the person who is responsible for an organization called Ignite. What Ignite's purpose is is they actually hire young women and teach them to be leaders. And they actually, it's a job for them to go around and they learn how to become leaders and then they launch them. And so it's it's leadership grooming programs where they actually had to go into the ground and pull out people who were interested in it. I think if y'all ever remember President Obama was saying at one point anybody could be a leader. Um, and so what he did was pick all the folks that were kind of interested in leadership had programs in place for those folks, funneled them over to there, and they've been grooming them his whole tenure in office. So I was yeah. teasing Joan, like, this is happening while nobody's watching. And so um, these these new leaders are coming in and taking these spots, and nobody's understanding how they're able to do it. Well, it's because they've already trained them. This is what happened in Houston. I'm not sure how that is playing out in the rest of the world because, for me, Houston is on and popping. That's how. I, that's what it feels well, like down here. We are moving, but I'm not sure how everyone else is moving in relation to how Houston is moving. I do see where they got the Alvarez lady out up there, um, and someone uh, took her out. But um, just overall, what the temperament is and if that's going on all over, I'm not sure because Texas is a big state. <laughs> So I'm good with Houston, San Antonio, and uh, Austin and Dallas. So I, I, how is that? Does anyone know of those programs? Have y'all had any like that, that you've seen where they brought in leadership programs and started um, grooming the leaders? Let me let me just speak to that, if it's okay. Uh, in Kansas City, I moved here in 2001, and it was pretty much in a depression. Now, mm-hmm. in the 2010 census, Kansas City had achieved enough population to move to a higher designation as a metropolitan statistical area. And so when I say billions of dollars flowed into Kansas City, I mean billions. Mm. And it was for infrastructure, we have a foundation here called the Kaufman Foundation, and they focus on entrepreneurship on a global level. Mm-hmm. So Kansas City has been known as the center, the epicenter for entrepreneurship now. So just recently we, we've got a movement for uh, to attract venture capitalists here. And then going directly to your question about uh, leadership training, there's a camp called Madam President where they take uh, adolescent girls and basically mentor them 
and just what you're just describing, so that they're prepared to take the reins when it's time. Right. Okay. I'll have to look into that, Madam President. Right. I'm trying to. I was going to Google it real quick to see if if how broad it is. Um, it's called Madam President Camp. Okay. I'll look it up. I'm going to keep it moving because I want to make sure I stay on time so Joan will be proud of me. <laughs> right. I hear you. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So we need to work on our marketing strategy and the message that we want our uh, potential uh, members to receive. In August, I, I'm trying to work out and plan a Black Parent Summit in August 2016. I am currently um, – Joan, I told you I went down to Austin and went to an event where the mayor made a slip up, and so he has opened the door for me to come in because it was only a small group of people at the event that I went to where he made that slip up, and we all got a personal uh, letter from him apologizing and asking if anyone had any um, ideas on how to help him better himself with his relationship with the African-American community in Austin, uh, they're more than the, his doors open. And that's all I needed, Joan. <laughs> so so it was a good thing. I made a point, which is what we're all supposed to be doing as members. I drove from Houston to Austin to get to this because I knew the mayor would be there, but it was also a My Brother's Keeper um, type of event because someone was speaking for My Brother's Keeper. Uh, so I'm going to get with the mayor of Austin and see if he would be willing to uh, have the city of Austin co-sponsor the the Black Parent Summit, the Black Parent Connect Summit, and somehow we'll market and promote that where it's a PTAC um, initiative, but the naming is something we need to come up with that relates to Black Parent Connect because during that time I want to address the issue that we're talking about in the education factor. PAC awareness and what a PAC is and how it will benefit black families, Um, helping the families get tech-oriented and have families in tech, Um, working with the center to build the program so by August it should be uh, going smoothly enough for us to present it at uh, Black Black Parent Connect. Um, Also helping parents maneuver with school, the the parent-teacher break because we're having black parents not understanding what's going on in the school systems, and there's the barrier of, what can I say, the barrier of um, communication between parents. I've, I've been to the schools, and I will tell you, when I walk in there looking toe up from the flow up, I'm treated differently than when I walk in there and my hair is done and I've got it together. When I walk in there looking toe up from the floor up, the respect level completely disappears, and I'm talked to as if I have no comprehension or understanding. Now, I understand where it comes from, but it also puts up the barrier between the parent and the teacher because there's perceptions made about me, who I am, or what I'm capable of, versus us understanding each other and being able to have respectful conversations for the benefit of our kids. So Joan knows I have been going through this with my children, and I'm reaching milestones, so we're, we're getting there. 
but I do know not everyone is able to get through those barriers, and they all need guidance. So I'm wanting Black Parent Connect to be the back-to-school kind of getting everybody prepared to deal with this upcoming school year that we're going to go into um, as the president leaves office because I think it is very critical for us to go into this with preparation for whatever may come because whatever happens in the political spectrum trickles down into the schools and whatever um, the media stream wants to put out there to bring out negative negativity, we need to be able to counter that um, and be proactive with it. So I want to start working on that. Anybody have any ideas of how we can uh, organize it, how we want to do the tracks and all of that, that will be great. If anybody wants to help um, draw it up and get the paperwork together so I can have all of this to take down here to this mayor, that would be great. Um, I'm hoping that we can provide it free for the parents uh, that need it and maybe uh, charge a uh, not a, a high cost, but I don't want to leave anybody out. I don't want it to be a barrier. So I want us to be able to have scholarships for parents that we can have scholarships for and then, you know, try and work this out so that it can add back to the PTAC treasury. Mm-hmm. Does anybody have any questions on that? I, I agree. We definitely have to be prepared no matter who is in office. Um, there's an article. I don't know if you saw that. Um, it was from HBCU Digest, and it was talking about, uh, it basically said HBCU alumni are this force that everyone knows is uninformed, unaware, and basically don't do anything until they hear that a school is about to close and then they just basically lose their mind. And I would go as far to say it's not just HBCUs have that reputation, but black parents have that reputation as well. And um, we have a reputation that we don't really, they can do anything to us as long as they don't let us know it's being done. And we are, you know, when it happens, when stuff hits the fan, like, all right, all right it's my favorite example. It's controversial, but I'm just going to go there for the recording for the purposes of people listening to this later. Uh-huh. The Trayvon Martin situation is my favorite example. You know, when that whole stand your ground legislation was making its rounds around the country, we didn't know anything about it. Uh-huh. We didn't know anything yeah. about their super PAC pushing that through one legislator at a time. But then the moment this young man is killed and gunned down and that becomes his defense, then we are emotionally out in the street marching with hoodies on and and Skittles and iced tea in our hands. But to follow through, we still haven't really done anything to address the process that that bill was pushed through. Right. So it's kind of like we scream when the snake is out, but the snake just crawls under the rock, and then we just go on about our business and have our little barbecue, not trying to kill that snake. And I I agree with you, and I think a lot of it, I guess me coming from where I've come from um, with Austin being, I love what Austin has done because it just makes it a wonderful place for me to go in and say, give me what y'all sold for me because you can't hide it. Um, But 
Austin, and just to let you know about Austin, Austin was listed as one of the top-growing cities in the country and out of all the top-growing cities and all the cities in the country growing, it was the only city where the African-American population was dwindling and continues to dwindle. So they basically flushed us out again. It's the history of Austin. So it's a big thing right now because Austin's becoming the new Silicon Valley and all of this, and gentrification is happening in East Austin where I was born and raised. And, you know, it's just that it's showing Austin as it's a liberal city, but it's not. So it was real funny to me that the president and the first lady popped themselves up at South by Southwest. (laughs) And all the city is just in love and love and love and love. But then you have this dirty underbelly that you don't address, so they're being kind of forced to have to address it, which is a good opportunity for us. But it's also a teaching opportunity because we have been so disengaged from the political processes because we were bulldozed. So, you know, why bother to participate? Nobody's listening to you anyway. When I started going around to these meetings, and every time I would open up about black issues, oh, my God, you could see folks tense up and we don't want to talk about this. It's like it was something wrong with speaking about what are we going to do about these issues in the community over here. So a lot of it has to do with what we not knowing how to overcome that type of um, barrier. So we have to prepare people to walk in and know what to expect. Um, I love that these folks are going to this dang Trump uh, rallies, I don't think that I would go, but I do love that they are brave enough to go put his rallies to the test because if they were not showing up at his rallies, then we would not be able to see the violence that they are inciting, uh, and they would basically ease on into the White House because Trump is speaking their language. But now mm-hmm. we're starting to see that Trump is uh, basically talking about uh, we're going to take all these folks, round them up, and we just going to throw him off somewhere. And the, his whole constituency is like, yeah, yeah, do it. So, okay, we're going to participate in the process, but if you have someone in here and then they're getting this vote and we don't have enough votes, then what's the purpose? That's where I think we spend the rest of this year educating our people on how to enter into these rooms, how to behave, because some of them believe you come in there attacking. No, you do not. Um, You need to know how to speak. You need to know how to uh, address your concerns, and you need to know how to be brief. You know, um, and so that's training. So that's something that we could probably start looking into. Um, Recruitment, let us not forget we need to recruit. Uh, We are working on it. I think we just need to push a little more. I haven't – I'm not as good right now because I'm in class. I'm sorry. But as soon as I wind up in class, I will be trying to – work on recruiting and getting some people to come on and check out Black Parent Connect and PTAC um, so we can get our membership numbers up. Um, With that, because I've taken up 47 minutes, guys, I'm going to go ahead to um, the officer's report. Uh, Is Jamal here? Okay. So, Jones, I'm going to grab those minutes. And while I'm looking for the minutes, Joan, can you want to go ahead and do the finance report? Okay. 
Um, the last meeting we had, um, we went over, we had no financial transactions from the last meeting, um, with the exception that we had made a motion and voted to move $200 from our account that's on PayPal into a black-owned bank, and we had decided to go with um, the Bank United. I think it's called United Bank. Bank One United, mm-hmm. um, and One United Bank out of Los Angeles, California. And so, um, when I was doing the audit for our account, it turns out that we really only have a hundred and ninety-four dollars and twenty-four cent because we have um, residual thirty dollars residual that does not belong to us. It belongs to three individuals that I've not been able to contact. I sent them a letter through email and through snail mail, and it was returned. Two out of the three were returned um, as bad addresses. So we're going to continue using social media, I think, until the next meeting. And then at the next meeting, um, because I understand that one of the individuals who um, is associated with this does listen to our recording, so this is for her benefit, that if we cannot reach those three individuals, um, and I, I, we haven't yet checked Twitter or Pinterest or some of the other social media. Um, then as a group, we'll discuss it on our April call. So um, so with the One United Bank, Los Angeles, California, we sent over $194.24 to them, and they returned it back to us because they have a policy they do not allow business accounts to be opened up online, which is what the representative told me. You can open up a personal bank account with them, as a, um, but you cannot open up a business account. And this account that we are seeking to open up for PTEC must be a business account, and it must be under PTEC's EIN number. I don't want it under my own number. And that's so that, as you know, with campaign finances, everything you do has to be, you know, every T has to be crossed, every I has to be dotted. And so, you know, when we get to the point, and I'm claiming that we are going to grow and we are going to be this 100-year-old force, we want everything set up correctly. And so it should be set up under PTEC's name. It should be set up with PTEC's EIN number. And so, um, so unfortunately, bottom line, we were not able to open up an account with a black-owned bank at this time right now. So it's all the funds are back in our PayPal account. Um, Joan, I will yes. let you that I do live in a city with a black bank. Okay. So, I mean, if it's about me having to go up there and do it or whatever, if we want to still go that route, just let me know. Um, Unity Bank, Unity National okay. Bank, it's a black bank down here. I just, you know, however you guys wanted to do it, I was fine with it. Uh, so it was no big deal because as long as it's a black bank. But we do have one down here. Well, can you can look into um, what they, if we if they have a business account, there's no fee, no charge, and then we can vote next month to move the money to that bank? Sure. Okay. I can do that. Because I, I want to honor what we voted. We said we wanted to put the money in a black-owned bank, so I definitely want to honor that, but we can't do it online. Okay. Um, Joan, I was looking for the minutes, and I'm not locating them. 
the minutes are going to be what's what's on the recording. Um, because I don't I haven't spoken to Jamal if he's typed up any minutes. Okay. Um, but what we can encourage everybody to do, and Joanna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you the link to the um, the old minutes. It's the voice recording. It's the recording just like we have right here of the last call. Okay. That way you have that. Okay. Um, Calvin, are you here? Okay, Calvin's not here. He um, had a National Respect Day that we were going to talk about. Um, we'll go ahead and move to item number three, um, <coughs> which was um, the digital rise of white supremacy. Uh, I have been watching the web, and um, I'm sure we're all watching, and looking at the stats and numbers. Um, just the same way that the Internet is powerful for us and reconnecting us with our family members is the same way the Internet has been powerful in connecting like-minded white supremacists with one another. Um, the question is, is what are we going to do or what would be things that we need to put in place? And this is just things to think about for right now. Um, like if you go look at the Southern Poverty Center and their numbers, uh, they have a list of hate organizations and charts that tell us uh, where these type of organizations reside. Um, I just read some articles where uh, part of what's going on in the white community is they had a decline in births, and so for the first time, and they said in 50 years, um, they had a decline in births, so they're Expected population numbers are down, and the minority population numbers are rising. And so this is what we're dealing with. I think it's, we need to discuss it from a context of what we're dealing with so we know how to respond. Because in my, and this is a personal opinion, not the opinions of others or anybody at PTAC. In my personal opinion, um, the whole fear is they're driving the fear because of these statistics. And rather than put these statistics out there and discuss those statistics and what can you do to uh, save your your culture, like better health, better mental health, whatever you need, um, it's going by way of policies. So the whole abortion debate and defunded Planned Parenthood is because apparently a, a lot of young white uh, women are having abortions. They, they're attributing it to that. I don't know. But to go and defund Planned Parenthood out of nowhere seems to me to go point back to what's going on in the white community and their mortality rates um, and their birth rates. Um, the other thing that they were doing uh, with Trump and, and grabbing all these folks is immigration. I didn't know, and I found an article. I had posted them on my wall. Uh, and I'll post them in the PTAC group, Joe, but I posted them as notes for myself. But one of the articles I read was that there was this group of immigrants that they had brought in to help bring up their numbers. And they happened to be Russian, and I didn't check all the others, but I called Russia because we know what Russia is. <laughs> they they have no uh, shame about their supremacist uh, beliefs, and they act on them as they see fit. 
So um, I thought it was interesting to read that because that's not information that's out there. That's information that we need to, on our own, try and be proactive in promoting because we could quell a lot of this fear if these folks would just talk about their real issues or their real issues can come to light. It's like what's scared of is this. All you have to do is this. But instead of doing this, you want to continue killing our people, you know, and that just, that's unacceptable. But we need to play more into learning about the rise of white supremacy now in the digital age so that we can protect our children, so that we can see what's coming, and so that I'm sure anybody here has the idea that when the president leaves office, we need to have some type of social media element where we can uh, control um, who sees us. Because right now, Facebook, Google, and all of them, Apple, um, they're on the table as far as the FBI and all of them want them to open up their applications to them so that they can monitor us. I'm not comfortable with that, especially when I know about white supremacy and how that works. So let us try and be diligent and, and get on task um, with what's going on right now with our 100-year plan and PTAC. Um, number four, and I know I'm stumbling over it because it's a lot of information, but I am going to post it again so that y'all can read it because I just read it like a couple of days ago with um, what's going on with Trump and all of that. Oh, my gosh, it's terrible. But um, number can I four. Can a Yes. Um, I just want to put some context on it for myself. But from what I'm understanding, as soon as people were aware in Barack Obama's first campaign that he had a good shot at making it into the office, mm-hmm. that's when things were set in motion. Yes. Oh, we've witnessed the rise. I mean, it's, and it's been a rapid rise. It escalates. That's right. Um, so every time he would do something that they felt was against them, so to say, mm-hmm. then they would respond. So, for example, the Tea Party. Then we had Texas actually was trying to succeed at one point. The governor there was talking about succeeding from the union. Right. Um, and then the other thing is that our Voting Rights Act was not, Renewed. It's every 10 so, years renewed. So they were systematically right. eliminating the right to vote, yep. especially for African Americans. So yep. I, with everything you're saying, I, I think I want to add this, though, because just because of the type of work that I do with capacity building, I think yes. sometimes, going back to what you said about HBCUs and us being reactionary, we tend to think we can fight fire with fire when really right. we need to fight fire with water. Right. Because right. we have a strong spiritual base here. Right. And you know, I've been in predominantly white situations, whether it's been in school or work, or whatever, most of my life, okay? Right. right. So there's that threat, that feeling of intimidation, because we're not fitting into their categorization of being inferior. Right. We're being. Right. Or being a group that can be uh, submissive and, and and better yet, like what, what Trump is talking about, the the ascendancy of the Nazi Party repeating history, repeating history, that someone can oppress you and eliminate you, can create right. another Mahatma, right? So right. I think 
one of the things that we need to do in terms of our understanding of what's going on is to understand within the context of a greater history that's going on here. Right. Because from where I sit um, and what I'm paying attention to is the the our ability to help people gain more, so that gain more knowledge, gain more resources, and to be able to secure themselves and their children, their families, their homes, so that it, it's not like it just happens to you. That's why I think we're so reactionary, because a lot of things do yes. happen to us, because yes. we we find out after the fact, right? So right. We, we got really comfortable, especially the baby boomers, we got really comfortable because we thought we had achieved this middle-class lifestyle, okay? Right. So instead of just integrating, we were assimilating. So now with President Obama being in office, we're finding out this racism was there all along, mm-hmm. but it's really bubbling to the surface now in terms of being very covert and overt. Mm-hmm. So when people think that they can just shoot you down in the street, I mean, you're absolutely right because there's something called the Alfred plan that, you know, Trump would be ready to just put into place in a, in a heartbeat to, right. eliminate, to, contain, to contain and eliminate black people. So right. to, to, for me, you know, there's also the data that, that's come, that came out that shows we are more educated at this time in history than at any other time. But We're more what? We are more educated. We are more yes. educated, okay? Yes. But at the same time, then, it, the question becomes, how do we use our education, our intellectual capital, to benefit ourselves so that we can advance the movement and, and just really understand where we're headed here? So I just want to throw that in real quick. No, I think that's good because we, we're having to transition ourselves from living in the moment because that's pretty much what it's been. My mom, you know, I come from an era where my mom said there were no jobs for them to be hired. So that's just a generation, that's my mom. So Mm -hmm. it's not like it was that far from what we did. My father picked cotton, you know, and I uh, tell my business partner all the time, you know, I have a story to tell, but you don't look at it as it's a part of your life and you learn how to work around it and you learn how to survive through it. So, you know, it's just about I just need to get a good job with benefits, and that's how we live. That's how we survive. And there is no long-term plan until you can get that good job with benefits. Now they're trying to get this, uh, see what I can do to save some money. You know, but how far behind are you before you can catch up to save the money? And then the whole time that you're doing all of this and trying to plan, well, of course, policies and laws are being made that are pushing you back that you can't see. So you don't see where you're being pushed back and you can't get to thinking about tomorrow. So I think having to force ourselves, which is, I think is the great thing about online, is that I have I, I don't know if any of you have been online more than six, seven years. I think, Joan, I've, I've reached the six-year milestone. Um, and when I jumped on Facebook, believe me, I had a lot of resistance from a lot of folks who was like, it's the devil. And it's this, and I'm like, well, you know, the devil is everywhere. (laughs) But within the devil, there's the opportunity because I have God, and God is going to keep me where I need to be. So I don't have to worry about the devil. 
So if the devil is Facebook, God is going to take care of me on Facebook. But, <laughs> uh, I mean, that's my spiritual self. So uh, if Big Brother is watching, I haven't done anything wrong. There's nothing that they could do to me. But um, with Facebook, I go back and I look over the past six years, and I have an entire photo catalog. Um, and I think about, like, this is what I'm leaving to my kids. My um, business partner even showed how it's showing our progress. So I think it's a great opportunity that we have now that we didn't have before. Um, no one had, not a lot of black families had picture books or videos. My dad had a video of us at babies, and it ended up melting because it was an old film. Got left in the garage, and it melted, and I remember it broke his heart. Broke his heart. But um, now we have live and living color videos that are continually being archived to where our kids are already seeing that, um, and it's, it's, it's psychological. So what we didn't have growing up to see, because I'm a child of integration, our kids are being able to just see it online. And my son comes and tells me things that he's researched online, and then he makes content, co- comments, about certain things that he sees, like he saw um, Richard Pryor. Remember the toy with Richard Pryor? And he just made a random comment about, like, yeah, so they had the black man in the toy for the little white kid. And he's just like, isn't that something? And then he walks away. <laughs> so I would tell y'all this, these kids are not playing. <laughs> they, have, they know what it is, they see what it is, and they are doing what they need to do to work around it. We need to be their steering committee so that we can make sure that they um, we clear out the landmines for them so that they can keep moving because they've already they've been activated and moving. They are running social media. And don't let it, our kids are running social media. They may not be making um, the funds as far as what um, our white uh, kids are making or whatever because the difference in exposure, but they are running social media. So that's a good thing and a plus for us, and we need to figure out how we can – Activate that in our favor as well. Um, Okay, number four about our focus, um, which is an update on the technology item. I didn't get the research this, y'all. I got to go back and look it up about FBI versus Apple. But, Jones, since our last conversation and call, the FBI uh, had apparently made a mistake in their, uh, what they were supposed to be doing when they were checking this person's phone. Is anybody familiar about the FBI versus Apple? Yes. Okay. So the last thing was the FBI um, had to admit that it was their mistake um, in accessing whatever device that they have. So I think it ended up getting kicked out. (laughs) However, we have to be concerned because that might have gotten kicked out, but that's where they're headed. And I know it's where they're headed because they are trying to figure out how to regulate the Internet and to regulate the Internet, how to monitor um, what we're doing on the Internet. Uh, that's for us. There's a lot of darkness and a lot of hidden places on the wide web that we don't even see. That's where we need to get to. Um, they're called dark webs, but dark webs don't necessarily mean negative. It is where uh, child pornography uh, resides, but not for us. The Internet was started on child pornography, by the way, and that's the thing no one talks about, the elephant in the room. But um, that's where we need to try and start positioning ourselves, which is why we have to get our treasury built up because um, our databases, our Internet, 
uh, websites and all of that, that should be something that we have on our own service and that we secure on our own service um, in part of our 100-year plan. Does anybody have any questions on that that I just said? And I'll move on to the next item. Okay. So we have a Supreme Court nominee, and now the goal is to get them to move on it. Down here, I don't know where, uh, what's going on in your sector, but our NAACP has scheduled a march for Monday that I am going to try and show up for, y'all. <laughs> Being visible out there takes a lot of time and energy. I have a no, blush, no more bloodshed march that I'm going to try and show up and get my pictures to promote on Saturday. And then on Monday, there's the march for um, the Senate to move on the Supreme Court justice. And this is something we're all going to have to get active on. And I'm going to give you all, just as I've learned in the field, some easy things to do to bring that um, to the forefront without having to go to a protest or march is go buy a poster board, put a message on the poster board, and take a picture. Um, it even goes better if you put the message on the poster board and take a picture with your baby. <laughs> so those are the, the things that I'm learning that they do in the field when we're doing our um, protesting is, you know, you get your poster board and put it up and that's your message, and then that circulates through social media and then you link it back to where you need to link it back to. So um, I suggest all members try and stay on top of that and push to your network to push to their um, Senate, write the letters to the Senate uh, to pressure them into going on with the hearings and the nomination pro in the nomination process of the Supreme Court justice. And that is all I have. Um, I'm going to do updates from everybody now. So we'll start with Joan. You want to go first? Okay. Um, I have, let's see, four quick updates. <clears throat> One, I went to a, um, a school board meeting last week, last Thursday. Um, it was held in the preschool, which is 100 years old, and they took a tour of the facility. It's where they house the Head Start program for our city. Um, over 51% of the children in our kindergarten classes arrive unprepared. That's a statistic that is higher than the state average. My theory is it's coming from that 100-year-old building, you know. So my next step is to try to find out what is the pass rate or what's the success rate of that preschool. Because obviously if you got a 51%, um, if you got 51% of your kindergartners are not ready to start school, then, um, you know, what does the preparation look like at the preschool? And that's, you know, been neglected for 100 years. I'm like, that school's been there for 100 years. That building's been there 100 years, not the school, but the building. And this is the first time that the school board has taken a tour of the facility. Um, so that was an interesting um, thing, so I'm still following up on that. I also went to a OC3, which is, stands for the Organization of Concerned Citizens and Churches. And we had a workshop on Monday evening, and that brought together, we have 69 churches in our city. And um, the goal was to have a it's an outside consultant that deals with asset-based community development. They call it, that's a new buzzword nationwide. It's ABCD, which stands for 
asset-based community development, and it's where you stop looking at your uh, at-risk communities, if you will, as needing uh, help, meaning you have to go give a handout, you have to feed them fish, but you um, take this next step. You don't just teach them how to fish. And she gave us a brilliant analogy that, you know, you can teach someone how to fish, but if the pond has been poisoned, you've done more harm in doing that. So you have to look at the whole picture. You know, what are the things underneath the surface that are poisoning the pond? You know, the political voice. You know, do the individuals feel like they have any kind of uh, skills or value to the community at large? And, you know, are there barriers getting in their way that they can't use their skills and talents, you know, for the community at large? And so it's the whole leadership development model. And um, it was very interesting to see some of the reaction of the people in the room. Um, But uh, the next step on that is they're going to then try to actually implement um, in one of our communities with one of the two one or two churches together on the ABCD model. And then today we had a um, parent-teacher conference, and I'm the parent coordinator for our middle school. And so um, we had a, you know, a lot of parents. I, I said to uh, my colleague, I said, you know, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm not trying to take all the credit, but the the wave of parents that came through tonight are like a hundred percent upgrade from where we were two years ago or when I came into to the position. And I don't know what changed, but I remember when I first was in this position and I would look out at the wave of parents and I felt like, oh my God, this is such a daunting task. How am I going to reach these parents? Because they had such a jaded I don't care. I don't know why I'm here. Look in their face. Uh And tonight, with the exception of maybe like four, I mean, these parents look like they came, you know, they were about the business, that they were prepared, and they didn't have that look that you were describing earlier, Lenita. They look like whether they just got off work or whatever, that they came to meet the teachers. (laughs) You know, they came Uh with an agenda. Um, I was very, very, like, in awe. I was like, wow, this has really changed from the time I sat behind this desk and had to basically chase people with a food line gift card to get them to talk to me. Where tonight, you know, people were coming up to the table, you know, they were just just a whole different vibe. And I had a chance to talk to um, a couple of my te- my daughter's teacher because I'm trying to advocate right now for my sixth grader because she would like to be able to have the option to apply to the governor's school. My oldest was accepted into the governor's school, um, which was, you know, a high honor in this in this area, 288 applicants, and I think they take, um, I think they might take 60 kids across the state area. Um for this uh, governor's school, high school. But my sixth grader, in order for her to even have the option, she has to be able to take algebra before she gets to the ninth grade because they don't teach algebra in the gifted school. They assume you've already had it. So in order for her to get there, she's got to, you know, be in like eighth grade math next year. Instead of taking seventh grade math, she has to jump into eighth grade math. 
So when I talked to her math teacher, she was basically telling me, you know, um, that she's doing great, you know, just talk to the people, you know, the math, the head of the math department, whatever. So I talked to the head of the math department. She basically kind of said, that's not even going to happen. Don't even think about it. It's not even possible. And I said, okay, well, that's your opinion. So then I talked to the other person she told me to talk to. And she kind of looked like, wow, you know, I never thought about that. Uh, let's think. Let's see. This has to happen. This has to happen. Blah, blah, blah. So then I just put the three of them around my desk and I said, okay, let's have what they call a triage, triage, whatever. I said, let's have a conversation, all four of us, on what are the barriers and what are the things that have to happen so that she can get to geometry by the time she is in the ninth grade. And then we just talked it through. And so, you know, I I took notes and I said, okay, so now we have a plan and I will work with her and and make sure this is something that she really wants to do. But, you know, don't look at me and tell me it's not going to happen. Don't even think about it. But that was the, you know, the the person's first reaction. And I just think it's because she's not used to having that question posed. I share that with us because, This is one of those subtle things that keeps our children in a box. My daughter can't wake up in the eighth grade and suddenly decide she wants to go to the governor's school because if she has not taken that prerequisite math, it's not a chance in hockey, you know, it's no way in H-E hockey stick. She could even apply. And like I told my husband, she may not want to do it. But in order for her to even have the option, we have to start on that process now. You can't wait until eighth grade and then say, oh, I want my child to go to the governor's school to ninth grade. And I think that's one of the things that I am going to definitely try to make other black parents aware that if you have aspirations for your child um, to to have certain opportunities, fifth grade, fourth grade, those are the years that you really have to start. You can't really wait until sixth grade because the barriers for ninth grade entry are already set in motion. They're already set in motion. So you've got to start thinking in fourth grade and fifth grade, what are the things my child needs by the time they get to the ninth grade? And I think that's it. Does anybody have anything um, that they want to add to Joan? Okay. Um, Joanna, is it Joanna? Yes. Okay. Um, do you have a typical? This is what we do. We just talk about what we've done in our communities, um, so that we can give each other ideas of what um, we can do to um, engage our community centers, our schools, and such. So, and Joan deals with a lot of the schools. I get information from her, and then I'm over here with the community center, so I pass that off. So um, this is just the part where we just give our status about what we're doing and um, the strides that we're we're making. Okay. Um, What I do is provide information and resources to strengthen children, families, and communities, and that's really to increase access, I should say. It's not just provide, but to increase access to those that information and those resources. So I have an email list of about 300 people, and they're mostly indigenous 
community residents, and there's some stakeholders, meaning that they're uh, community organizations that serve indigenous residents. And one of the things that I'm working on now is getting out more information about opportunities for training. So there's an organization here called Launch Code that provides an alternative pathway for people that want to go into these high-tech jobs. Because we have a Silicon Valley here, too. Um, Mm -hmm. And so these jobs offer not only great income potential, but also they're jobs that are having uh, really high job growth over the next few decades. And the other one was about what we call gold-collar jobs, and those are jobs that would require either a certificate or an associate's degree. So to make sure that people, going back to what Joe was saying, if, if you don't have that foundation, you won't be able to go to the next level. And my intention really is because I'm working on a STEM-based project here is to get people aware that they have to be prepared to take advantage of all of these incredible job opportunities for the future because we've moved into another paradigm. The other thing I did today was I attended a meeting. It's called Money Smart KC, and I'm a member of the Alliance for Economic Inclusion. And we started about four years ago working on a project uh, because we wanted to increase financial literacy and economic mobility for low and moderate income people. And one of the reasons that that group formed is because we had a really big problem here with payday lending. They had kind of taken over the urban core. Mm-hmm. And the other issue was that banks uh, weren't really allowing people to, with low incomes to have uh, savings and checking, checking accounts. So there was a lot of uh, meeting going back and forth with them and um, then just pulling together people who provide services, mostly social services, and pulling them into the loop. So this website, you can actually go look at it. It was unveiled uh, this week. It's moneysmartkc.com. It has about 20, 25 topics, and and it's basically a way for people to find information in a central place. And it ranges from everything from employment to health to credit, and the list goes on and on. And so I'm just really impressed with what's been produced here because it, it was an initiative, initiative through the Federal Reserve Bank, and part of it came out of the president's uh, policy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you all know who John Hope Bryan is, but he is on some kind of special commission that President Obama created uh, to increase financial literacy in this country. Right, okay. Oh, Joanna? Yes. I want to piggyback on that. There is a resource our Federal Reserve here in Richmond offered. Um, Talia, can you hand me those um, those those um, financial worksheets for kids on the table? They produce this uh, financial. It's a financial game, but it's like a glossy color um, brochure type of thing. Yeah, and you can order. I forget how many you could get. But you could order enough for, like, a classroom, so to speak. So I ordered, I guess, like, 50 or so. It's, yeah, that's it. It's two different kinds, though. Um, so the title of it is Dollars and Cents. Watch your Dollars and Cents. Watch your expense. 
and choose a lifestyle, a career, and learn how to budget your money. And then at the bottom is another one, another type. And then um, it's like a little game that, you know, they just play with a pen and pencil, and it goes through and they pick out what kind of house they want to live in, you know, what the monthly payments are, what the utilities are, what kind of bills they're going to have, what kind of food they're going to buy, like whether it's going to be basic, common cuisine, or royal feast. And then there's a workbook called My Money, and uh-huh. then they put their name on the front, and then it, it just educates them on money and finance and banking. And it's real basic. It's like, you know, I think this one must – the student workbook must be for um, – Look like kindergarten age. Yeah, because my little three-year-old's on my lap now, and she's pointing at the pictures and everything. So I guess this is like for like a um, a elementary school. One for middle school, high school, and the other one's for elementary school. They're free. They're 100% free. All you have to do is request it, and they send it to you. So I ordered, like I said, you know, probably enough to do like two sessions. Um, I'm thinking this summer – Somehow, some way, and it's at richmondfed.com, and it's given by the Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond. That's right. where it's Richmond, Baltimore, and Charlotte. Right. All the Federal Reserve probably tied to what you were just talking about. Right. All the Federal Reserve banks had to. Uh, they were all under this uh, executive order. Literally, he created a financial literacy policy for the country. And just to let you ladies know. When I was at the briefing with the MBK, that was one of the things that they really stressed was our focus on policy making. Um, so they're directing us toward uh, educating ourselves on doing that more. It, it, the man has a one. I mean, it's just a strategy that he has in place to help educate us on. I guess it's the Constitution. No, what is it? What is he a constitutionalist for Dobby? And he's put the plan in place to educate us on how we can be effective in the short amount of time and on what to do. So I think that's awesome because um, we do need financial literacy. My mom said to me once that she wished she had taught us financial literacy, but they didn't know. Um, And that's a lot of what we deal with is a lot of blocked information. And the fact we don't have to depend on the schools anymore for it and we can go out and just get it ourselves and teach ourselves, I think is even better because it gives us time to learn on at our at our own pace. So that's good. Um, we had one more person on the call? Okay. Well, then I think that's it, ladies. We can begin wrapping up. Um, let me switch back over because while y'all were talking, I was signing up and listening but I was signing up for that Youth Leaders Conference call um, for tomorrow. So I'm signed up and ready to attend, getting my code. Um, the next meeting will be, I'm going to pull my cal- calendar up. And we need to set the meeting for April, May, and June. Okay. Let me see. Hold on. Um, okay, March, April. You said April, May, and June. Okay, right. so April, we said third Thursday. It would be the 21st? 21st. And then May would be the 
And then June would be 16th. Okay. June, let us move June up or down um, because that week is going to be leading up into Juneteenth. Mm, Okay. We have a lot of stuff that goes on during that week. So um, we can either move it to June 9th or June. We could do June 23rd if we want to just do that. All right, or maybe June 30th. June 30th. Okay, June 30th. And then let me go back. I'm sorry. Go back to May. I'll be right here. Okay, so June 30th. And then in May, I said May May 19th. I will be here. So let's move that up to May 5th. Because I don't want to go for the end of the month. I'd rather okay. Do okay, so April is. Let's do. I look. We're just completely. We're gonna be off schedule April, May, and June. And that's okay because we can probably find times that's more convenient for you know a wider le- level people by you know having some okay. flexibility. Okay. Um. So we're gonna come right back on May on on um April May. On May 5th, why don't we move April up to the 14th? Okay. So that would be April 14th, May 5th, and then June 30th? June 30th. Okay. Okay. And then we do our July meetings in June, where we set the meeting in June. Okay. So July, okay. August, September. All right. Um, We lost Central Arkansas, so I'm not sure if she wanted to say anything or she was just listening in. But she's she's no longer on the call, or he. (laughs) Okay. Um, Okay, so we've got that done. We are now down to closing prayer. Um, Joanna? (laughs) Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this meeting of minds. Lord, we were so honored that you gave uh, the wisdom and the articulation of ideas in this short time period, Father. We know that you will guide us over the next few days and hours and weeks to continue to push forward, to uplift, to inspire, to empower, and to equip our family, our networks, our friends, and even the stranger we meet on the street, Lord to let them know that there is hope in our future, Father. If we just stay focused on you, you will give us everything that we need. You have given us everything we need. As we've outlined tonight, resources are abound. We just need to plug into them. We thank you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. Thank you. Let's do it. And I, What I did is I um, posted the link to my brother's keeper and to um, – the the young lady was a madam president, and so right. I put that inside of our. Um, Joanna, are you in the meeting notice, the page for PTAC, the event page? Yes, I can access it. Okay, great, great, great. And so, anything hey. that we all find out from that hey. conference call tomorrow, you know, we can share it there. And we just have to encourage people that you know it's only an hour and thirty minutes. I mean, we typically only do an hour, but we have an action packed agenda. 
And, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's a small investment of time for what I personally gain out of getting from what's going on around the country because you could tend to think, you know, that this is something going on in your area only and you find out that it's nationwide. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.